0: eco health your internet radio
1: good afternoon and welcome here on radio eco health it's the road trip show with dedrick from road trip is a road trip SA app and we've been laughing yeah you're talking about all the crazy stuff been happening uh, everything breaking people going crazy and all that kind of stuff but yeah, at the end of the show, we're gonna give you the winner of the Mike fontaine competition. So, Didrik, you again? There we go. Afternoon, dear. <laughs>
0: yeah, Mike Fontaine competition today. So um, we're waiting for all the final entries to get sent up to us, or the, all the final correct entries. A lot of people apparently took. Uh, some huge flying guesses on the competition. But <laughs> no, it was not a Hyundai i10 that went to Mikey's Fontaine in the Road Trip magazine. Just, uh, <laughs> just a heads up about one of them. We're <laughs> <laughs> okay. waiting for all the final entries and we'll, we'll, do, we'll do the draw at the end of the show. And uh, hopefully whoever wins it will be on their telephone and we can give them a phone call and, and yeah. let them know. Yes, let's
1: do that. And today you said we're going to move towards the Kruger Park.
0: I've been itching to do a couple of episodes on the Kruger Park. And, uh, I mean, we're now, I think, on episode 13 or 14 or something already. And the Kruger Park has got to be one of the most iconic tourist destinations that we have, and in fact, in the world. It's a world-class wildlife destination. Yeah. And for a lot of people, the Kruger Park is not just a park it's not just to go and see the animals it's almost got a kind of spiritual value for people people go there to restore themselves they go there to enjoy the peace and quiet of the bush yeah and i don't know how to describe it i mean for me as well i can never go to the kruger park enough times yes yes. and you know that that early 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 morning as the sun rises when whether you summer winter you know some of the gates some of the gates open like at half past four or five o'clock in the morning yeah and there's always a bit of a rush to be the first car in the queue at the gate, and that anticipation. You know, the there's, there's, there's sun the sun is coming up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just ten minutes before the gate opens or so, no, none of the engines are on. All the guys are switched their cars off, and they're standing outside. And you're hearing a couple of people talking, and there's coffee going. Yeah. But you've got that. There's a particular smell in Kruger, and there's that atmosphere, and you can stand in. You're in some of those camps at the gate. And you're hearing the fruit bats in the trees. They've got that little tink, tink, tink noise in the trees. Yes. With luck, you got lions or hyena or something in the distance. And as those gates open, you start up, and the convoy sort of start moving out of the gates, and you've got that anticipation. Especially in winter, you've got your beanie on, your gloves, your your your, yes. your scarf around you because <laughs> it's freezing cold. But you've got the windows open, so that you don't miss anything. <laughs> yeah, cup of yeah. coffee, a couple of rusks, a couple of Omar rusks in the car. Yeah, you know, obligatory <laughs> coffee with biscuit in the morning. Yeah, and you drive down those tar roads, and you there's always the chance of a lion or something lying on the road, keeping the warmth of the tar. Yeah, and. Kruger's got one of those, it's one of those magical places that always surprises. There's never a trip that you come back from Kruger disappointed. Yes. There's always something, there's always something brand new to see. And one of my pet hates about, about, about sort of our tourism industry and the wildlife industry is this, this, this irrational focus on the big five. Yeah. And people almost feel cheated if they haven't seen the big five. Yeah. But there is just so much else to see that you're doing yourself a disservice by trying to concentrate on the big 5. The big yes. 5 will come. At yeah. some stage they'll arrive and you'll and you'll see the big 5. But you know, Kruger I think looking looking at the preparation I was doing yesterday and today on Kruger, I think Kruger's probably going to take 3 maybe even 4 full episodes to even just start scratching the surface of what is on offer there yeah and a little bit about the history as we go through the park there's a lot of historical sites now all of all of what we speak about is is on the road trip app and especially the details in Kruger it's one of my favorite places all the camps have got details on all the accommodation what is there are tips on going there what birds are there what specials are in the area to see and to look for so, yeah. the road trip app is worth downloading almost just for the Kruger Park, info. So it's stuff that you're not going to find easily, and this is built up over 30, 40 years of traveling to Kruger. Yes. But the original park was declared in 1899 by President Paul Kruger. Now, this is just before the Second Anglo Boer War War of Independence, Freedom War. <laughs> yes. uh, standing joke, sorry, guys. And. He declared a place called the Sabi Game Reserve. And where that actually came from, it wasn't out of any kind of altruistic notion about preservation or animals. It was actually a bit of self-preservation for the Republic. At that time, the low Felt was still a disease-ridden, malaria-ridden area that okay. was almost not accessible in the summer months. Yes. And what would happen in the winter months is the farmers from the high felt would descend the berg because now the diseases are, are are not that prevalent and they would come into that area to go hunting yes and they would stock up on hide they would stock up on meat and food and biltong and they would transport that back up into onto the highveld as and it formed an extremely important part of the economy of the old Transvaal republic yes and kruger realized that a cornerstone of his economy was actually in wildlife yeah and he realized cleverly enough, that the scale of shooting and hunting in the winter months was going to cause a massive extinction or issue. Yeah. And that's why he actually declared the Sabi game reserve. Later on, the Shingwedzi reserve was, was added to it slightly further to the north. A little beast called the Pongola reserve existed for a while, and then it take, got taken back again. But eventually in 1926... A couple of these little pieces got coalesced. Government bought up some land in between some of these little separate game parks. Yes. And 1926, more or less the modern form of Kruger was created. And it's 1926 was also the year that the National Parks Act was proclaimed. Okay. So those two those two coincided, and obviously the National Parks Act was was promulgated in order to preserve the Kruger Park. That was yes. our first and, and, our, and our main one. But, yeah, you need to understand the scale and size of Kruger. It's, the Kruger Park is in the eastern side of Southern Africa, the northeastern side of Southern Africa. It's on, that forms the border um, with Mozambique and in the far north uh, with Zimbabwe. It's our largest national park. It's, our, it's the largest national park in South Africa. Now, some people will argue and say the Kalahari is bigger, but the Kalahari spans over the border into Botswana, so the South African part of the Kalahari doesn't compare to Kruger. Yeah, yeah. and if you look at Kruger now, it's also got part of the Transfrontier Park, the Greater Limpopo Transfrontier Park, the old hunting concession, uh, I think Kutara 42 or 52 or something it, it used to be called. That's now been being joined onto the park as part of the um, what they now call the, the, the Peace Parks Foundation. Okay. But just in, just in South Africa, situated in the low falter between the northern Drakensburg, again, a lot of people don't realize when you go down through uh, the on the tunnels and stuff, you're heading down towards Hoodspray, that area. You're actually still in the Drakensburg. The Drakensburg is not just down in KZN by Lesotho. The northern Drakensburg is actually that ridge of mountains that you cross over as you drop down into the, into the far eastern um, Pumalango. Okay. The park is 365 kilometers north to south. Wow. 365 k's north to south, and it averages about 60 kilometers east to west. That's huge. And the total land area of the park is just over 2 million hectares. Wow. So, yeah, and I'm, you, can, you, can, you can look at the numbers. One guy says 1.9 million, one says 2 million, one says 2.1 million hectares, and I think it depends on exactly how you measure the place.
1: Yeah.
0: But if you then add the Great Limpopo Transfrontier Park to it, the piece in Mozambique, you're now sitting at 35,000 square kilometers or 3.5 million hectares. Wow. <laughs> and the 2 million hectares is roughly the same size as Israel. Gee whiz. Okay. You know, and <laughs> it's the, like that, a small that, country. It's that, that, the size of a small country. And that is a national park. Now, the variety of stuff that is in that park, obviously in such a massive area, is absolutely astounding. And the first, the first warden, a guy by the name of Colonel James Stevenson Hamilton, he was only appointed after the Anglo-Boer War, because obviously 1899, the park is proclaimed by by Kruger, war breaks out, and uh, the park gets forgotten. Yes. Yeah, you know, war's slightly more pressing pressing issue right then than than preserving a park. Yeah. But when the British took over in 1902, they they Try to maintain or sustain whatever was done there previously. And they realized then that he has this national park. No one really knew what national parks were at that stage, so they appointed an ex-colonel. And James Stevenson Hamilton became the most famous figure and almost the father of the Kruger Park. And he dedicated his life to opening the park to tourism. He saw the potential. The first tourists came into the park. They were actually part of a, the railway line. The railway line used to actually run through Skukuza, down through that southern part, and then out the other side. Yeah. Um, and the railways used to schedule the train to go through there at night because they, they honestly thought, well, who wants to look at a bunch of silly animals? But <laughs> okay. the, train, the train drivers and the conductors started realizing that they are onto something. They would actually stop the train and have a, have a bonfire and stuff in the park with the passengers.
1: Yeah. And it
0: became so popular that the railways then realized they needed to change the schedule and put the train through the park during the day. Because yeah. the people so enjoyed seeing these animals. And Stevenson Hamilton pioneered the concept of tourism and of self-driving stuff in the Kruger Park. And the first day, day visit has entered the park in 1927. And that's why around the Pretorioskop area, there are these really funny little roads. It, and it's literally it's like little lollipops. You go down the main road, you've got like a little lollipop road on the side. It's like two kilometers okay. or one and a half kilometers with a little circle on it. And then then you're back on the main road. So you can see that was the experiments of getting people in cars
1: into that bush
0: area. 1928, the first overnight facilities are built in Pretorius Corp. Then Skakuza, that stage, was called Sabi Bridge. Because when you stand in Skakuza now, there's a beautiful train hotel on the old bridge over the Sabi River.
1: Oh, nice. So it's all all, um, pieced together, the whole Kruger Park was pieced together by different parts of land that got added eventually.
0: Yeah, so you, you, the, the Pongola Reserve, as far as I remember, was, was like much further south um, of where Kruger Park is now. That was the first attempt at, at, an, at, at conservation. But remember then as well that the Transvaal, the old Transvaal borders were not where they are today. So some of the Transvaal yes. actually extended almost down into KZN um, around the town of Pongola, that area. Yeah, that yeah. didn't work, and then they proclaimed the Sabi, the Sabi Game Reserve between the Crocodile and the Sabi River, and then the Shingwezi Reserve, which was much further north, and then they purchased the land between those and joined that up, and yeah. that's almost the same size. I mean, a lot of farms were added, added by Eileen Open. They um, on Eileen Open's death, they, they like twenty five thousand hectares or something were donated where Orpen Gate is, is today. Those farms were donated to the park. You know, so little bits and pieces yeah, yeah. Get, got joined onto it. Yeah, and then by, by sort of 1931, you've got accommodation, Lataba, Beluli, Olifantz, Malala, and Lower Sabi. So by 1931, we're now starting to see this as a, as, a, as a serious tourist destination. But to give an idea, again, you know, people focus on this big five. There's 145 species of mammal in the park. Yeah. And probably yeah. one or two that we haven't found yet.
1: <laughs> yeah. You
0: know, there's over 500 bird species. I think 500 bird species in the park. I think 500 species is more than the whole of North America yes, just found yeah. in, the, in the park. There's 404 different kinds of trees in the park. Sure. So you've got this this amazing biodiversity in, in Kruger. And Kruger spans all sorts of ecological zones. The ecological zones depend on rainfall. They depend on the underlying geology. You've got basalt. You've got granite. You've got sand felts. Yeah. all of those contribute to different plant communities plant communities eventually to different animal animal yes. communities you know so you've got this massive variety of animals that you can see in Kruger and I thought you know what you do is kick off right up in the northern part of the park and one of the things to see in the in the far northern part of the park is one of the three cultural heritage sites that are accessible to Joe Public. There's over 250 cultural sites actually in Kruger, Yo, of which wow. only three are really accessible. Okay. And the three that you can see are the Albacini ruins near Pabeni Gate, right down in the, in the south. You can go to the Massarini Muen, uh, ruins, an INH site just, just uh, up the road from Palabora Gate. And in the far <laughs> north of the park, you've got the Tulumela ruins. Now... That's an interesting one because that seems to tie in with the building style of Great Zimbabwe. Okay. So it's Done. still under excavation. It is open. It I've seems heard to be something about that yeah. in Zimbabwe as well. And it looks like it's about 500 odd years. And that kind of ties in because if you go back to the old Portuguese explorers, the Portuguese had Started in Mozambique, really, in what is now Maputo, then Lorenzo Marx. We're yeah. now talking 1500 odd, somewhere 1520 something or other. I'll have to check exactly what those dates were. But the first explorers of the Portuguese, and look, their navigation was dodgy. So, you know, when they're writing <laughs> reports, you don't know exactly <laughs> where they are. Yeah. But <clears> you, their <throat> early. Transcriptions put them into the Lubombo Mountains which forms the border with Mozambique and Kruger. Yeah. They in the Lubombos and at that point we're now are talking very early fifteen hundreds, they found active communities in villages with the same building style as Great Zimbabwe. Yes. So Tulamela, in the far north of the park, is very, very likely to actually have been part or one of the outlying Posts, villages, trading posts tied into yes. into the great Zimbabwe um, civilization. But when you go to the far northern part of the park, your absolute first and one of the most talked about little spots is a little spot called Crook's Corner. Crook's Corner. Crook's Corner. Okay, that sounds interesting. <laughs> now, when you stand in Crook's Corner, you you actually can see three countries. You've you got Mozambique, you've got Zimbabwe, and you've got South Africa. Yeah. And where that name comes from is it was a hideout for criminals in the former South African Republic, or the ZAR. ah, So And for weird. criminals from Portuguese East Africa, and criminals from Botswana land, or <laughs> at that stage... Uh, um the British colony of Rhodesia. So that's where the name Crooks... Well, they, they used they used to st- sit, stand in a corner because, you know, they would have spies and what have you and they'd get reports of the police were coming or this, that, the next thing. And if yeah. the Portuguese police were coming, they'd just pop over the border and go sit in South Africa. Yeah. And then the Portuguese <laughs> police couldn't catch them. Or the South African police were coming, they'd pop over the river and go sit, sit in, in Rhodesia. Yeah. <laughs> so it became a little, it became quite a thriving little community. And the most famous amongst these guys, and if I can recommend a book that you guys have got to get and read about the early history of the the Transvaal, and to get an idea of this, is a book called The Ivory Trail by T.V. Bullpen. Okay. And two or three chapters in The Ivory ivory Trail are dedicated to a character by the name of Cecil Barnard. Cecil Barnard became, was his name, uh, and his his, his Shangan name was, I think you pronounce it, the kenya the kenya and that that translate into he who swaggers when he walks okay <laughs> and and that name came from his early start off as a hunter he was an ivory hunter a lot of people would put him down as an ivory poacher hunter are yeah. we talking very very early days here yeah
1: that time, and, then
0: it was still hunting now it's just poaching <laughs> and and his name comes from, he got himself outfitted and he disappeared off into the bush to now become this hunter. But he got attacked by some highway robbers, some Shangans, Attacked him, beat him, almost, almost beat him to death, stole everything that he had and basically left him for dead. Yeah. And this character wakes up and he's now basically naked in the bush somewhere in northern Kruger, what is now northern Kruger. Yes. And he walks out of there. <coughs> barefoot, no clothes. And he walks out of there. And the name he swaggers when he walks comes from the fact that he was so sunburnt and his feet were so sore from working barefoot that he could hardly step properly. So that's why he yeah. was walking, you know, with that real sway motion. Yeah. Needless to say, part of the Ivory Trail is his revenge eventually on those Shanghaians. Uh, okay. <laughs> he did manage to find them again. Yeah. But he became a really famous character of Crook's Corner, and he became one of the most prolific ivory hunters or elephant hunters of that era. And he had a very, very unique system in Crook's Corner because Crook's Corner actually has a beacon in it. There's a little triangular beacon that says, here be three countries that join. Okay. (laughs) And he started getting very irritated, having to pack up his camp all the time to move when the police were coming. Yeah. So his answer to this whole story was either he then dug up the beacon and made the beacon mobile. So he would then just pick up the beacon and put the beacon on the other side of his tent. <laughs> okay. I can see how that can work. So he didn't have to move camp all the time. All he had to do was move M- the beacon. Move the beacon. And, he, and, and, and one of his famous answers was that he says, well, if the, if the police from Mozambique or Portuguese East Africa, South Africa and Rhodesia come for me at the same time, You'll put the beacon in his tent, sit on top of it, and let them fight it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <yeah. laughs> but Crook's Corner is is like the furthest north little spot you can visit in Kruger. It's it's one of those areas in Kruger with with massive massive riverine forests. It's fever trees all over the place. You're on the Limpopo, and even Rudyard Kipling's poem. Of, um, you know, the great grey, what's it, I think it's the great grey, green, greasy Limpopo all set about with fever trees. When you stand at Crook's Corner, that poem is right there. It's the most magical, magical area um, up there. And you can get out of your car at Crook's Corner, have a look, take take some photographs. A little way down the road is the Pufuri picnic site. Again, right on the river. Picnic site's in Kruger. There's always an attendant there. You can hire a little scottle for our international visitors. because I think yeah. we've gone out to, what, 23 countries, I think I said to you earlier today. Yes, yes. You can hire a scottle, which is a little, little like, gas, gas-fired frying pan. Yeah. So you can s- sit at these picnic sites. You've got toilets. You've got running water, hot water. And you can cook up a breakfast or something there. And it's one of the most magical things to sit under these massive trees along the river. Cook up your bacon and eggs. And just sit there and absorb that quiet and that atmosphere with the Limpopo River now, um, I, right there. I've actually chosen a song that
1: would go nicely with a picnic right now. <laughs> there in Kruger.
0: Okay, where, where, where are you transporting us to? <laughs> Africa from Toto. There we go. Let's do that one Let's right now. Guys, you're sitting one. at the picnic site in Kruger on the <laughs> Limpopo. Yeah, you go.
1: Hurry, boy, it's waiting there for you. Okay, we are back. Diedrich was just telling me about this guy that kept on moving the the the, the beacon, and he actually gave himself up eventually because he was uh, poaching royal game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, again one of the larger-than-life characters. But I think we were we were at the Pufuri picnic site. I, I think I made a mistake. The Pafuri picnic site is not actually on the Limpopo. It's on the um. It's on the Lviv River. And the Lavuva River, confluence of the Limpopo, is at, at Crook Corner. Okay. But it's the, just the most magnificent riverine forest. And at that Bufuri picnic site, you've always got the chance of picking up um, the Pals fishing owl, which is one of the most unusual owl species. That actually, it's, it's the nighttime version of the fish eagle. Okay. He goes and he actually hooks fish out of the river at night. Wow. And that's one of the birding holy grails in Kruger. And there's one, there's one that actually roosts pretty often at the picnic site there at Pufuri. Okay. A couple of other specials up that side uh, for the for the for the birding guys. And again, it's that that area is so incredibly rich in wildlife because it's one of the few areas in Kruger where you're crossing a whole different array of eco zones. And geology okay. you've got the rivers, you've got the rivers there that have, that have given you alluvial floodplains, you've got sand felt, and you know all of these now mix together, so the, the The game is not as plentiful as in the central areas and the southern areas of Kruger, but the variety is much bigger, and you get a lot of the rarities up there, yeah, because this part of Kruger, you're above the Tropic of Capricorn. So okay. you're actually in tropical Africa. Not, not many people realise that bits of southern Africa are actually tropical Africa. Yeah. So you're north of the tropics. There's a couple of ways to get into the northern part of Kruger. You got the very far northern gate at um, it's called the Pafuri Gate. Then you got the Punda Maria Gate, and much further to the south. And it doesn't really count. I don't count anything south of the Lataba River as northern Kruger. But you got Palabora Gate. As well. So yeah. you know it's a bit of a bit of a travel to get in there. And if you want to stay at one of the more central camps or so in that northern area, you've actually got to plan it pretty pretty well because some of them are not reachable within within a day, say, of Johannesburg. You're just not gonna make some of those smaller little camps yeah. that are in that area. And if you if you spend that time at in that northern area and you've gone you've gone to the picnic site you've gone to Tulamela another quite interesting little spot just south of that now at in those remote areas there's only one road sometimes that you can travel and that's the H1 and the H1 is the okay. spine of kruger it travels right goes right from the northern side of kruger right down to the bottom or down to the south yes. and they've actually numbered it very carefully cleverly because every major intersection the H1 changes so down on the southern side of kruger you have got the H11 then you hit the first major intersection, becomes the H-1-2. The okay. next major intersection, H-1-3. Okay. <laughs> so in the far northern part of the park, you actually kick off, if you're coming in at um, Pufuri, you're actually on the H-1-9. Okay. And then as, as you hit the main intersection there, there's up that part of the park as well. If we're going to go sort of sequentially with the accommodation units, at the Pufuri border post, now there's two accesses into Mozambique. Through Kruger, okay. So you've got the f- the most northern one is actually at the Pufuri border post, just south of Crook's Corner. Right there is an old police <laughs> post, okay. and that has now become an international border post, cool, because it gives access into the Transfrontier Park. Yes, yes, okay. I have used it before. I did a wonderful trip once through the Great, through, through the Transfrontier Park on the Mozambique side. It's rough going. It's all dirt roads. There's zero facilities. There's just campsites. And I hit many, many dead off-road trailers on those roads that, that are just disintegrated. The axles had broken in half. Ah. The suspension had given out. The main chassis had cracked in half. So oh, be wow. careful when you go that side because it is really, really rough. And the, 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 a lot of the trailers, this all these so-called off-road trailers just didn't make it that, in that section. Yeah. So you've got the border post there, but you've actually got some accommodation there as well. It's called the Pafuri Border Coast the the Pafuri Border Camp. Okay. And there's three little houses there that are, I think it's the old commissioner house, you know, the old police commissioner or something. And there's yeah. three little houses up on the hill that you can actually so if you plan it correctly, you can have a nice night in Kruger and the next morning early you can cross the border and get into the Transfrontier Park. Okay. And in the correct season you can't really go go across into into Mozambique during the wet season because the Limpopo river's right there it's flooded you sometimes cannot get across that river. Yeah. So if yeah. you can just if you're just doing the Transfrontier Park it's great but in dry season you can actually use it and I know there's people that then cross the Limpopo when it's dry and then they head up to central Mozambique for their for their normal holidays. Yeah. I've never managed to do that road it's again it's on the bucket list. Okay. <laughs> on the bucket list. It's on my bucket list to get to get to get out that side. <laughs> So when you're heading when you're heading down now and you're on the H one, the first place that is of sort of historical interest is called Bayabab Hill. Okay. Now uh, that's just that's just <laughs> south of Tulamela. and Bayabab Hill you can't get out there. But there was an organisation called the WNLA, which was the Vatvatsran Na- Native Labour Association. Okay. And we, we need to remember the park was only proclaimed in 1899 and really only started in 1902, 1903 when the British took over, and then it yes. took until 1926 to coalesce, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. But gold was discovered in Johannesburg in 1886. <coughs> oh, yeah. And that created a massive but massive demand for labor. Yes. So guys like Barnard actually became what they would call native recruiters. Okay. And they would then go and try and find labor to go and work on contract for six months or 12 months on the mines in Johannesburg. So they would go around the villages and recruit guys to now go through and go through to the to the highveld. Yeah. And it, it, again, it's an interesting part of our history because the demand was so huge for labor to work underground that almost anything went
1: Yeah, it didn't matter. You you
0: needed bodies, you needed bodies, and you needed muscle. Yeah, yeah. And they would go and recruit right up into Mozambique, into then Rhodesia. Technically, it was illegal to get foreigners in. Oh, yeah. But what they would then do (laughs) is they'd get these guys in, they'd hold them in a camp somewhere, teach them a couple of words of the local language, then pass them off for some of the locals, and then send them (laughs) off to the mines. And no one seemed to question this. Too much. I wonder the, if
1: that's where Fanagalo comes from.
0: Yeah, no, Funagalor <laughs> does come from the from the mines in Johannesburg. It's an amalgamation of I don't know six or seven, or eight to ten different languages.
1: Yeah, yeah, and
0: just that everybody could then understand one language because you know in the Joburg mines, you're working with ten or fifteen different languages or nationalities underground. Yeah, and you're trying trying to give instructions and stuff. So yeah, now that's exactly where Funagalor comes from.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: So you've now got this this. Um, There's this little labor camp there on Baobab Hill, and it's a a very prominent little outcrop. So from miles away, you can see where it is, So that's why they use it. And right on top of it is a very, very prominent, most beautiful um, Baobab tree. Okay. And and these guys operated there right up until about 1927. So that route in the northern Kruger was an influx route for a long time for labor coming down into... Into Johannesburg. Yeah. A little bit further down, you've got a, a little spot called the Klopperfontein Drift. A little drift over the river. And it was actually built by by, by Barnard. <laughs> Barnard built it himself. Okay. Because it was his road to bring out all his ivory. And it was his road there for the natives that he had recruited for the mines. and it, And it was a... An irritating little drifter. So he actually spent the money and built his own bridge yeah. to make his stuff move faster. <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was built by him, but it was actually named after a guy the name of Hans Klopper, yeah. who also was one of the hunters that spent some time up at at Crooks Corner. But you, dri- <laughs> you drive right through there, and you can actually you actually right there at the, at at the little drifty thing that that Barnard actually built. <clears throat> then then you've got. The most magic, one of the most magic camps in Kruger. I think you're going to hear me say this about just about every single camp. That's beside the point. Because Mm -hmm. Kruger, for me, again, is one of those, just one of those, those absolute, it's almost like I said, it's a a, a spiritual place. Yes, yeah. And right at the Punda Maria Gate, when you drive into the Punda Maria Gate, just ever so slightly in the north of that, you've got the Punda Maria Camp. Yes. Now for our international guys, when you speak of a camp, we're talking of a accommodation facility, little separate houses that you can that you can hire out per night in the house bed. You got a bed, you got an air con. Some of them have got kitchens, some of them all of them have got bathrooms, some of them have got a kitchen attached, you've got a little veranda, you got a little barbecue area. And in a yeah. main camp, you've got a little shop, you've got a little restaurant. You can sit outside and get a takeaway and stuff like that. Most of, most of the main camps have got campsites as well, so you can put your tent up, you can bring your caravan.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But Punamaria is one of the older older existing camps. Very, very old-fashioned little huts in little rows along the road. It's, a, it's, a, it's probably the smallest, what they call, main camp in Kruger. Okay. But... If you're coming in from from Johannesburg, you've got to spend two, maybe three nights at Punda Maria, because it's the only real camp within reach of Crooks Corner and Pufuri. Okay. It's a perfect day drive from Punda Maria to go up north for the day, and if you leave early enough, you can have your breakfast already at the Pufuri picnic site. You can do, and there's a there's a whole gaggle of little loop roads and stuff around that riverine area. Yeah. And it always, always produces some some interesting stuff. And that northern part of the park has got the highest concentration of elephant. You're more likely to see um, Nyala up in that part of the park. Okay. Eland up that side of the park as well. Eland, I've only seen Eland in two two parts of the park. That's either way up north. And then one day I saw them in a, in, a, in a little patch of open grassland just outside Pretorius Corp. Okay. And that was like one of these real double takes. I actually went to the ranger at, <laughs> at, at Pretorius Corp and said, guys, I don't know if I'm smoking some stuff, or but I saw eland." He says, no, that's right. They always migrate from the northern part of the park right down to Pretorius Corp every year. Okay. So I wasn't, I wasn't going delusional. <laughs> and that area is also one of two or three areas in the park where you can find sable, sable antelope. That magnificent black antelope with those beautiful swept back horns yes, yes. is up that size. So from Punda Maria, you've got the Pafuri picnic site. You've got the opportunity of picking up the special, the, the, the Pals fishing owl in that area. Mm-hmm. The camp mm-hmm. itself has got a magic little walk, walking route around the camp. And you 've got the chance if you do that walk, and if you do some of the loop roads around around um, Punda Maria, you've got the chance of seeing the sunni the sunni antelope okay, again, one of these tiny little mm, no rusty idea. colored antelope that is just one of the rarities in Kruger, okay so if you're going to go there yeah you've got to, you've got to spend two nights, maybe even three nights in Pundamaria because it opens up that whole northern section of the park to you Yeah. for, for some really, really special, very, very special days. Then when you start heading, heading a little bit further south, you hit the Babalala picnic site.
1: <laughs> Babalala. I
0: <laughs> well, Baba thought you were going to say Babalas. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: now, again, picnic site... Same as up in Pufuri, there's a caretaker. But it's the, one of the iconic picnic sites in Kruger. Where you've got this big thatch roof, circular roof. Right in the middle of it is this beautiful tree growing out, out, of the, yeah. out of the middle of this thing. Awesome. And again, it's one of those areas, you know, you can sit there, you can do your bird watching while you're cooking up your breakfast. Beautiful violet-backed starlings that, 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 that live in the tree there. And the picnic sites are never fenced. Okay. So I've sat in this I've sat in one or two of these picnic sites before and you get a meandering elephant that just comes through to come and oversee look, see what's going on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and there, there's normally the whole lot of birds, it's illegal to feed the birds, but the hornbills tend to come and sit in your table. The glossy starlings always come and investigate your breakfast plate. Yeah. And it's just again one of those the absolutely um magic magic little spot. But again, then you ke- you keep on heading heading down south, and you get the northernmost of what we call the bush camps. Oh yeah. And I've stayed in this one before. It's a it's a camp called Sereni Serheni. and it's again it's a bit of a weird one because it's a Shangan word or Tsonga word rather that means cemetery, and apparently that name comes from some kind of elephant graveyard. That was found there. Now the elephant graveyard story is an absolute myth, and let's put that to okay. bed right now. It does not exist. There is not. You're never going to walk through the bush and find a hundred elephants dead, lying on top of each other with the wealth of ivory to take home. It doesn't yeah. exist. It's a it's a fairy tale. So it's a bit of a mystery where how that name uh, yeah, got came there. from
1: yeah.
0: But it's again, it's right on a river. It's right on the Mpungolo River. You've got a fantastic little bird hide where you, where you sit there, and you've got a the river right in front of you. You've got this little bird hide. We sat there the one day, and myself and daughter went out. My wife and other daughter sat in the bird hide, and the resident leopard happily walked past the fence right in front of them. Oh, <laughs> literally, literally two meters away from them on the other side of the fence, the le- resident leopard came and walked. Yeah. walked across the front of it. Now those those <coughs> bush camps have got zero. You got to be self-sufficient. There's a there's a there's a reception area. Normally, when you res- arrive, the the the, the camp attendant is busy doing some maintenance, or he's gone, or he's, he's busy with one of his tasks. And your name yeah. is just written on a board, and you now have number three or four or five, whatever it is. Okay. And <laughs> off you go. So that that is the sum total of the facilities that are in that camp. You've, sometimes you've got a communal freezer there because a lot of them don't. A lot of the camps don't have 220 volt electricity. They've got yeah. solar power, or they get cut at 10 o'clock at night or so. Um. So don't expect cell phone reception and stuff like that in the, in those camps. Yeah. But a place like Sereni, I mean, I think Sereni's got, I think, 15, 15 units in total, max, 9, 10, yeah, 15, 15 units. Okay. And it's, again, it's just one of those places when you sitting on your little veranda in that hut, the silence is almost overwhelming. There is just no noise. There's just nothing. Yeah. The main camps, you've normally got a bit of, you know, you hear the people, you hear the kids in the swimming pool, you hear a car driving in and out or the guys going down to the fuel station driving. And even yeah. at night, you hear the car starting up to go to the restaurant and back again. Yeah. But these yeah. bush camps is absolutely dead silent. There's just yeah. nothing, nothing that goes on in, in those camps. So and if, you, if you're staying in a place like Sereni, your closest, your closest camp for supplies is um, Shingwezi. So Shingwezi's got a um, a relatively well-stocked shop, and it's got fuel and that kind of stuff. Okay. And you've got to, again, one of those camps, if you're doing an extended trip in, in Kruger. Now, how far
1: are these camps from each other?
0: You're looking from, say, Pufuri down to Pufuri to Punda Maria is, I think, 75, 80 Ks or something. Whoa. Oh, okay. You know, so sometimes it's, sometimes it's quite a drive.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, you know, I, I think, I think I'm, I'm talking completely out of my memory here, but I think um, Shinguezi to Sereni's is about 40 Ks or 45 Ks. Okay. So it's an hour drive. The speed limit's 40 Ks an hour dirt and 50 Ks yeah. on tar.
1: But you don't want to do that.
0: I mean, yeah. when, when I'm in Kruger, my planning on dirt is 25 Ks an hour. So yeah. if you're trying to work out distance of drive and how long drive's going to take, you've got a 50-kilometer loop you want to do, it's going to take you two hours. Yeah. Because it's yeah. a stop and a go and a slide, you know, reverse and have a look and drive slowly so that you're not missing stuff. Yeah. And you don't want to go drive fast. And it's, it's pointless driving fast in Kruger. It's yes. Just, it's, it's, it, makes, it just makes no sense to drive fast in Kruger. And then you've got um, the next main camp, which is Shingwezi. Now, Shinguezi is on one of the main rivers that goes through the northern section of the park, the actual Shinguezi River. And even the descriptions say you have the most magical evenings in Shinguezi. Your entrance into Shinguezi is a kilometer or two along the along the Shinguezi River. Okay. And it's again huge, huge trees. Along the river, you've got this beautiful view out because the, r- the river's pretty low down. And you've got this beautiful view. There's normal, normally saddle-billed stalks in there. There's there's hippos there. There's 99% of the time you're going to hit a troop of baboons
1: that uh-huh. are swinging
0: around and playing there. The most magical part of Shingwesi Camp is the main reception area and restaurant is built right on that river. Yeah. So <clears throat> you can sit there. You can order a toasted cheese or... Even just sit and have a drink or something, but you've got the view out over the river. Yes. And Kruger's is one of those places where it's often more rewarding to sit still quietly somewhere rather than madly racing around looking for stuff. Yeah. Yes. And so often you sit quietly. Maybe it's a little viewing spot over a river. You've arrived in your car and you've got the windows down, you get the coffee out, and you make a cup of coffee, and you get a rusk or something early morning. And you just sit there, and it's deadly quiet. You've got the birds chirping, the woodland kingfishers are going off in summer. Yes. Sometimes you hear the baboons <coughs> barking down the, down the river because you know, they spotted something, and they're getting tense about something. Yes, yes. And as you sit there, suddenly you just see a movement here. And the next thing you see a little movement there, and then suddenly on the other side, hang on! But there comes a giraffe walking down the river, and then suddenly over here something on the sand starts moving. Yeah, but but there's impala there, yeah. And people again, you know, and I've said it a couple of times, suffer from arsabs disease as soon as possible. Disease, <laughs> and Kruger's not an arsabs an place. Kruger's yeah, a sit huh? still and watch place. So yeah. often it's absolutely pointless driving around madly. And okay, we're talking about road trips here, but. Yeah. Sitting in Kruger with with the windows down at a picnic site or sitting at a viewpoint or driving down a little dirt road somewhere is yeah. almost the ultimate form of road trip. Yeah. And the surprises that that pop out there. And Shingwedzi's got two two entrances exits, so you can actually drive through the camp and then you head down towards a place called the Kanidua Dam. Okay. The Kanido Dam has been breached, and it's one of the lesser understood policies of the park. Okay. And especially in the northern areas of the park, where I said a lot of the rarer animals occur. You're looking at roan antelope, you're looking at sable, you're looking at suni, you know, you're looking at at at, at, the, at, the, at at harapiest, and those are the unusual animals in Kruger. Yes. Now, they are rare because they are adapted and can survive in areas of lower nutrition um, than, for example, the areas in the Central Park or the Southern Park where the bulk yes. animals are. Yeah. You know, when you see a herd of, I don't know, let, 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 let's call it 60 or 100 zebras, yeah. and they're all in one area, that grass has obviously got to be highly nutritional, yes. otherwise you couldn't have 60 animals feeding on one so patch of grass. there's a
1: lot of water in that area.
0: And there's a lot of water, etc. Now, at a point... Kruger, unfortunately, is actually designed the wrong way. When I say designed, by, by mistake, or not even by mistake, just just, just by, by what happened. It's a very long park, narrow north to south. Yeah. But the natural migration route of the animals was actually east to west. Ah. So what happened is when they eventually fenced Kruger, it took a long time to fence Kruger, the animals started migrating, and they hit the fence line. Oh, dear. And thousands and thousands of zebra and wildebeest died along the fence line. <clears throat> so, of course, everybody gets very upset. All the nature lovers get upset. Oh, no, got to save the animals, save the animals. Yes. And there was a, a project called um, Water for Wildlife, okay. where the Parks Board raised an awful lot of subscriptions, public subscription to now drill boreholes, put in windmills, and pump water for the animals because the animals were now dying of thirst because they couldn't migrate yes. to where they were going. So now what happens is you sink a borehole somewhere. You're putting in an artificial drinking point. You're now providing water where historically there never was permanent water. Yes. So you're now keeping animals in that area that historically never were there. Yes. So the, the other types of animals, your, your rarer ones, your roan, your sable, your tsessebe, your beast, mm. they have a very different social structure to the mass and the big herd animals. Yes. And now suddenly the herd animals are able to stay in those areas where previously they never were. Yeah. Now what happens is the predators follow the big herd animals because now there's enough to eat. Yeah. It's an awful lot of hard work running around trying to find a couple of lone roan <laughs> or a lo- or a lone um, yes. sable antelope, yeah. you know, your lions got to work hellishly hard to find that guy and then try and catch him. Yeah. But it's a lot easier to chase after a herd of zebra. And your chances of hitting one is going to be a lot, a lot easier. easier yeah. So your predators tend to follow where the food is. Now suddenly there's food for the predators in these previously inaccessible areas. And what eventually comes out of this mix is that they then discover that antelope like sable and roan, their babies are not able to follow them immediately. So they actually hide their calves. Their calves lie down quietly somewhere under a bush in the... And under a tree somewhere and rely on their camouflage. Yeah. Whereas you tend to find that the herd animals like wildebeest and zebra, the baby's born within five minutes, baby wildebeest is charging off after his mom and is able to run. Yes, yes. So the introduction of predators into those areas was allowing the predators to find the babies of these other antelope. Oh. So we wound up with big population crashes of those rarer animals. Yes. And a very hard decision was made a while ago by the Parks Board to actually shut down a lot of those windmills okay. to stop the artificial water. A bit of public outcry because now that windmill was raising subscription in memory of Uncle such-and-such such or something who was a lifelong yeah. fan, a crew, et You know, So there was a lot of opposition, but a lot of people didn't understand the ecological reasons behind it.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And when you go to the Kaniduot Dam just outside Shinguezi, it's the same thing. They've breached the dam because it was an artificial water point, and it ah. stops the fish migrating it creates a, an artificial floodplain. You know, there's a lot of water in area that in winter normally wouldn't have water because the river yeah. would... You know, there's, so there's a whole roll-on effect of okay. doing this stuff. Yeah. So there's a lot of really, really interesting ecological stuff happening and going on in Kruger. From Shingwezi, you've got a couple of beautiful drives. The one is down to the Kaniduot Dam. You head out to the western side of Shingwezi of Camp. It's got a... Beautiful, beautiful riverine stuff. The remnants of the Kanindua Dam are still there, so there's still a lot of reeds and stuff. So you, the bird life is very, very prolific. Yeah, It's just an interesting one. If you go all the way down, you can get down to a little place called Depeni. And there's a little structure there, like a little bath thing. Okay. And when you stand there, you're literally maybe 100, 150 meters away from the Mozambique border. Okay. And it was an old dipping tank. And it sounds very, very weird, but... It was actually to disinfect illegal immigrants from Mozambique. They were forced to walk through the dipping tank because the authorities in those days thought that those illegals were bringing diseases into (laughs) South Africa. (laughs) So they had a dipping tank for, for people. On the other side of the camp, you can head out to a place called Red Rocks. Again, a fantastically rewarding drive. It follows the river, most awesome geology. And they were actually at Red Rocks, it was actually historically a little mining mining spot for gold. There were a couple, okay. of, couple of prospectors there. Right up until the early 1920s, um, guys were still prospecting for gold in yeah. the Kruger Park area. But those drives out of Shingwezi, again, absolutely mind-blowingly beautiful. And those areas, the biggest herd of buffalo I've ever come across was actually on a drive through to Red Rocks. That herd must have been a 1,000 strong. Wow! Absolutely yes, that must amazing, have been something as, to see. and it's an awesome sight. And buffalo, Buff one of those funny ones, that you know when they're moving, they 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 just tend to like flow around you. Yeah. So your car can actually be in the middle of the herd, and you have got buffalo coming to the front of you, buffalo coming to the behind you. Yeah. And many years ago, I was actually a trail guide in the Timbavati Game Reserve, a foot safari guide. Yeah. And one of the most scary moments I ever had. Well, walking along the banks of the Klesiri River. <laughs> and you're up front, you're carrying the rifle, you've got a, a string of, say, eight, six or eight people behind you. The trail's never were more than eight people. Yeah, yeah. And I suddenly hear this rustling in the river, in the reeds, and you can see nothing. You can see there's nothing to be seen. Yes. But I hear this rustle, rustle, rustle. I stop, take the rifle off my shoulder. I call the folks behind me. I say, all right, bunch, bunch, there's something coming. And out of the reeds erupted a couple of hundred buffalo that came up towards us oh yeah i mean there's nothing you can do you've got a hundred buffalo coming up towards you they're, they're literally like 100 meters away from you yo. and they just flowed around us yeah they split around because i'd formed like a little group so obviously i looked like a rock or some kind of solid Thing, formation <laughs> and they literally they just flowed around us and and, and ran off into into the dust and I mean the people were shaking, but I can tell you they went home <laughs> with a memory of note. I also went home with a with a, with, a, with a kind of kind of serious memory but
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean there's nothing you can do. did, I mean, did, did they have to go into the watch: It <laughs> <laughs> well, wasn't quite that
0: bad it wasn't quite that bad. But yeah, I mean look and here we go. I said, I said to you, we're going to take like four or five episodes to yeah. to cover Kruger when you've got Shiwezi, and then you've got the. One of the other beautiful little bush camps, a place called uh, Battelia. Battelia, obviously named after the Battelia eagle. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, most beautifully coloured coloured um, eagle. And again, Battelia is right on one of these swap over areas. You got the Mapani, you've got the woodland savanna in that area, yeah. and again, you get that variety of animals. In there now, when you go south now from the Chinguezi Batelier area, you almost hit serious monotonous landscape almost until you get right down to Funds, Because now, now you're sitting on, on the Mapani and mixed bush willow areas, yeah, and it yeah. becomes, it, it becomes kind, of, kind of monotonous. And you're then sitting, sitting on, the, on the pure Mapani shrub felt. So, yes. the, when we talk about Mapani shrub felt, it's that low growing Mapani, like a meter and a half, two meters, two and a half meter high. Okay. Very different yes. to what you get around Punda Maria. Punda Maria, the geology is very, very different. And there, the Mapani is actually a forest tree. It's a massive tree, six, yeah. five, six, seven meters in the air. And that's a whole different kind of atmosphere. Because there, and the Mapani is an amazing thing. It becomes this, this really bushy shrub, it can become a full grown, massive tree. Yes, But yeah. once you get to, to that Batalio camp uh, and you start going, going south from there, then you're entering a whole different area of the park and you're now starting to hit the serious Mapani Felt. Yeah, And the Mapani Felt is the elephant area in Kruger. Okay. The most magnificent elephants in there. And that's why we've got to go past Mapani Camp and a couple of other spots, but eventually you get into Lataba on the Lataba River. Yes. And I always regard the Lataba River as the boundary <coughs> between the northern side of the park and the southern side of the park. So I haven't quite got to that borderline yet. But that's why in Lataba they've got the Elephant Museum, which showcases the old Tuskers. There's always been like a big seven yeah. or mighty seven or magnificent seven in Kruger. And those elephants get monitored. And years ago, Kruger had a policy of culling. Culling elephants became controversial. Oh, yes, yes. Um There are good reasons behind culling. There's good reasons not culling. I think the culling actually wins. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. And the culling, unfortunately, or the early hunting tended to take out the big tuskers because that's what the hunters were after. They were after the ivory. Yes. So your gene pool starts becoming a bit distorted for small tuskers. The big guys are taken out. And when Kruger had a culling policy, they would actually, if a big tusker was with a herd, they would then not cull that herd they would spare that herd because they wanted to save that gene pool yes. and I've seen one or two of these guys and one of my most memorable ones was what was the elephant called Chokwan now Chokwan lived much further south down down um sort of much closer to Skakuza around the Chokwan picnic site yes but his tusk was so long that he actually couldn't walk he couldn't walk properly he actually had to hold his head up at a funny angle yeah. Or his tusk would actually dig into the into the sand. Wow, beautiful and an absolutely amazing experience to see that one. So, okay, we've we've now we've got we got down to um, Battleo Camp, and we're going to have to carry this one on on version two or episode yeah. two of Kruger. Yes. But guys, again, Kruger one of the most iconic South African road trip experiences that you can have world-class, absolute world-class wildlife destination.
1: Yeah. I think let's quickly go play a song, then we go into the competition uh, results and so on.
0: Fantastic. Let's do that. What, let's what, what Where are you taking us now with your music?
1: Um... I can't remember. I think it uh, was a Johnny Clegg one, if I'm not mistaken. Funny how Johnny Clegg seems to feature uh, on shows. He keeps on popping up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's go play that one, and will, we will be back yeah. shortly. And we are back here on Radio Eco Health. And we're quickly going to give you the results of the road trip competition, the Mikey, Mikey's Fontaine competition. We had a, uh, quite a lot of entries, but uh, apparently there's only six lucky ones, which we're going to choose one of them. Uh, how are we going to do this? You said I must pick a number.
0: <laughs> Pick a number. Pick a number between 50 and 56. So you got a choice. 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55. Which one? Um, I'm going to go for 53. 53. 53 belongs to Renata Van us
1: Renata Van, renata us.
0: van us. Email address renata eighty elizabeth at gmail.com. Well done, Renato. We will be in touch with you and you'll be getting your vouchers and stuff for your two nights at the Mikey's Fontaine Hotel at the Lord Milner in Mikey's Fontaine. Well done.
1: Awesome. Great stuff. And uh, yeah, quickly tell the people how many countries actually downloaded some of the podcasts and all those.
0: Our podcast is actually doing amazingly well. Our podcasts are doing amazingly well. If I just quickly go in here, let me just see locations. We of have, that was interesting. Let me just get on to all episodes. Okay, now of course my computer is hanging. There we go. <laughs> We've got twenty three countries. Twenty our 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 messages going out to twenty three countries across the across the world. The latest ones to join: Israel, South Korea, Brazil, Sweden, Mexico, Algeria, Denmark, Poland, Australia, Singapore, Finland, Costa wow. Rica, Spain, France, Italy, UK, India, New Zealand, Japan, Canada, and then the the, the top three are Germany, the USA, and South Africa.
1: Awesome, awesome. I so hopefully,
0: hopefully, people are learning about South Africa, realizing that we are an absolutely world class tourism destination nothing to be scared of when you come out here you are only going to have the most amazing holiday when you come to south africa
1: yeah we've got all the interesting spots <laughs> <laughs> but i think we m- might get her onto a zoom type meeting uh, uh, maybe in the next episode just for about five minutes just talk to her and everything um what do you think about that
0: i think we yep i think we i think we need to do that we get we'll get hold of renata and uh, Ask her what she she thought of it and how excited she is. She's going to have an awesome weekend. It's a fantastic spot. It really is an amazing little spot.
1: Yeah, I know. And we've done quite a bit on Mikey's Fontaine. And it sounds like an
0: awesome little place. And uh, you get on to our podcast. There's an entire episode just on Mikey's Fontaine. Yeah, and we ran out of time. So this is, if I can talk about it for an hour, you can spend two days exploring it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, we didn't just do that episode. We mentioned some of it in the previous episodes as well. So yeah, there's a lot of Mikey Fontaine to go listen to on our podcasts. Yeah, uh, and that's just your podcasts. Uh, where you uh, your platform.
0: That's just my um, platform. That doesn't, doesn't include who's downloading it off the EcoHealth website or listening off EcoHealth website. Either. Yeah,
1: I must actually see if I can get those stats as well and see if we can get that and see what uh, what was happening on there.
0: Oh, we're going to double it. Yeah, well. Usually double it.
1: Why not? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Thanks, Diedrich. And, uh, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening and joining into the competition and everyone the, uh, that downloaded the podcast and listened to it, it's quite interesting. And Didrik has got a passion for it. Uh, I think that's why enjoys the show so much. I just. Keep quiet most of the time because I just sit here and listen <laughs> but yeah I, I really enjoy uh, this show okay well see you next week like a, uh, I'll yeah
0: I'll need to decide maybe we do central area of Kruger next next week as well I love the Kruger yeah you can't, like I said before you cannot send me to Kruger I can never get enough of the Kruger Park
1: yeah we'll continue with the Kruger Park and uh, go from there.
0: Awesome, guys. guys. Thanks so much. See you all. Not see you. Uh, Pick you up next week. I don't know how to to say this. Pick you up, listen to you, get you, talk to you next week again.
1: Yeah, talk to you next week again. There we go.